My name is Thomas Scythe, and uh, I work on a a fantastic team and our youth ministry. And so I'm very excited to be with you guys today, and and I appreciate you guys coming here. I, I don't know how well you know me or not, but we've had some uh, pretty big news in our family recently. About eight weeks ago, my wife gave birth to our first child. And so we have a picture of our family. There we go. It's okay to say it's cute. You know, it's just, it's been a, it's been an absolute joy uh, and a blast just to get to, just to figure out what it means to be a dad. Uh, and it's like entering this new club, like you just like nod at other parents and you're like, I know, I know, we, we understand each other. You know, I, you, you just know the late nights and it's just been so much fun to be a part of. And as much as I would want you to think that this is what it's like in the home all the time, you know, just uh, matching and all that stuff, this is a much more realistic picture of what's happening in the Scythe household. Lots of laughing and crying uh, and confusion, but all, all the while we're having a blast together. And so thank you for being here today. If you have a Bible, go to John chapter 1, starting in verse 43. And I want to talk to you. We're going to continue uh, our study on the, on the character studies in the New Testament. And today we're going to look at a man named Philip. And uh, there are a lot of Philips in the Bible. There are four main ones. Two of them were kings, uh, not believers that we know of. And they're not mentioned uh, very often in the scripture. The other two were believers. One is Philip the Evangelist. And and he is most famously known for uh, meeting with the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts. But we're going to talk about the other Philip, the Philip, one of the 12 disciples. And there's actually not much given to us about Philip. We just get a couple snapshots of his life. But I think in looking at his life, we can learn a little bit more of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so I don't know if you guys uh, have role models or if you guys look up to anyone. Maybe there's someone who has a job you would like or if there's someone who just wears clothes that you want to, you know, you're just like, yes, like that style. Like, is my, yes, I want to do that. You know, and you just, that, you, you look up to people. Maybe it's a family member. For me, it was my older brother growing up and my brother is seven years older than me. So he held all the power in the relationship as a young, I, I was the young brother. When I was going into junior high, he was going into college. And so um, I remember he chose engineering as his major. And so that, that influenced me. And I chose engineering and was blasted in, in college by that. And, and, and I remember sitting down with him and telling him, I, I think I'm going to join band at school. And I said, I'm going to play the trumpet. And he looked at me and he goes, no, you're not. And I said, what? And he goes, you're going to play the drums. And so I switched uh, and I switched to, I played percussion all throughout junior high and high school. Uh, and I remember another time, me and my brother used to play this game called Toy Story. Uh, and it was for the Sega Genesis back in the day. And we, there was one level that I, I was young, I could not beat it. And so I would invite my brother to beat it for me. And he said, sure, on one condition. And he said, anything for you. And he said, I have to sit on you the entire time I beat that level. And I said, thought about it, I said, deal. That's fair. And I would lay down on the carpet in our living room, watching the TV, cheering him on as he sat on me beating Toy Story. And um, I don't know if you have older siblings like that, but that was my relationship with my brother, right? But we all follow someone, right? We take cues from people. We look, we look up to our parents. We look up to siblings. We look up to just the people in our lives and, and we shape our lives around the things that they do. That's something that's natural to us. Everyone is influenced by someone, 
right? You're taking cues from someone. And so when we look at the life of Philip today, I want us to gain a better understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I think by looking at some different snapshot of his life, we can do that. And and, and so uh, if you have a Bible, John chapter one, let me read it. Starting in verse 43. This is at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, by the way, and he's just beginning to call his disciples to himself. In verse 43, it says, on the next day, Jesus wanted to set out for Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. And so the first thing I want us to realize today is that everyone is invited to follow Jesus. Everyone is invited to follow Jesus. That's the first thing I want us to know about following Jesus. Everyone is invited to follow Jesus. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? I think there's two parts to that, right? I think there's two aspects. Uh, In theology, you call one side salvation and this other sanctification. Uh, Salvation first. Uh, The way that we are saved and we are made secure We are made right with God is by faith in what God has done through Jesus in him dying in him raising from the grave, conquering death and ascending to the father. When we place our faith in Jesus and we say that is a sufficient to cover the the sin that is in my life, the burdens, the messes that I've created. When we say that is sufficient, I believe that, that Jesus is who he says he is. It says instantly we are a part of the family of God. We are secure forever. That's a huge thing, right? That is, that is we, are, we are bought and placed into his family. And, and what's amazing is that as God looks at us instantly in that moment, he doesn't just see us, but he sees us through the lens of what Jesus has done. And so we are called perfect because of what Jesus has done in a moment. And what's even better, we see that, that, that the Holy Spirit comes into our life and testifies to us about who Jesus is. And so we are never alone as a believer. And that's, that's the first part of following Jesus. It's that initial salvation. But then there's a second aspect, and that is sanctification. And that's a fancy way of saying we are growing into who we were created to be by God. It's a way of saying, I am shaping my life to become like Jesus. I am mimicking him. And, and, and how does that take place? Like I mentioned, we have the Holy Spirit as believers. And the way that sanctification takes place is through cooperation with the Holy Spirit. We, we hear the Holy Spirit, we listen, we are convicted, and we respond to that. And in that, we submit ourselves to the lordship and the kingship of Jesus and his leadership. And so those are two aspects of following Jesus. And so that is why, if you've been around Grace for the past year or year and a half or so, uh, you've heard this phrase, we help people find and follow Jesus. It's tapping into those two Ideas. We help introduce people to him and to become like him day by day. So when Jesus looks at Philip and he says, follow me, that's the, that's the, the encompassing, that, that's what he's saying. He says, place your faith in me and then learn from me. And I said, the first point is everyone is invited to follow Jesus. How do I know that? Let's keep reading. Because we learn a little bit about who Philip is. Because maybe we're thinking, well, Philip's special, right? He's, he's got to be funny or something, like good at basketball. Like Jesus like, you're on my team. That's what, that's what, let's keep reading. Uh, verse 44, it says, Now Philip was from Bethsaida 
the town of Andrew and Peter. And I, and I, I know in the room you're thinking, I already know everything there is to know about Bethsaida, right? You're like, yeah, that's like my family's vacation spot. But just in case, let me tell you, this is a small town on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Literally, the, the name of the city means, uh, it means city of fish, uh, and so it's a huge fisherman community. It means house of fishing. Uh, and, and so more than likely, this is what Philip was involved with, right? He was a fisherman of some kind. The text even says that's the town that Andrew and Peter were from, right? So, so it's pointing it out. It's saying you, maybe you've never heard of it, but that's where Peter and Andrew are from. We know that Peter was a fisherman as well. Um, and so we're not given many, many details about Philip up until this point. It doesn't say he was in a lofty position. It doesn't say he was really attractive in any way. It just says Jesus went up to him and said, follow me. And, and I love that because there is, since there's nothing significant about Philip and what he brings to the table, the scripture doesn't give us that. And I think that's the point. I think we can see that, that, that the invitation to follow Jesus is given to all of us. It's given to every single person, not just the smartest, not just the best, not just those who are able, not, not just those who are capable. Uh, I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, think about the circumstances of your call. He's talking to the Corinthian believers. And he says, brothers and sisters, not many were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful and not many were born to privileged positions. And he's like, guys, the reality is you weren't that smart. And the other reality is you didn't have that cool of a job before this. And the other reality is you didn't have that much power. And he's like, you guys weren't much of anything, but you were called and you were invited in. All of us are invited in. And I, I want us to hear that so clearly today because I think we get that in our mind of I need to prove myself inside the family of God or I need to prove myself to get into the family of God. And, and I want to say clearly that everyone who comes into a relationship with Jesus brings baggage into that relationship. No one's coming in and benefiting and making Jesus better than he is. No one's making his team better. What we bring to the table is garbage. What we bring to the table is uh, stuff that has to be dealt with. And Jesus willingly takes that on and he says, I can, I can make that clean. I can, I can make you, I love what the scripture says, as white as snow. Which in Texas we're like, what does that mean? That's a weird analogy. Um, Google it. Um, but the fact that we are here today and you're hearing the gospel preach, and we're hearing the truth in these songs. That's Jesus inviting us to say, either for the first time, let me place my faith in Jesus, or maybe as a believer, maybe I need to submit to his authority, and I need to repent today and respond to what the Holy Spirit's doing. One of my favorite pastors, a man named J.D. Greer, heard him preach a few months ago, and he said this. He said, under the leadership of Jesus, everything flourishes. And I love that because why would we want to follow Jesus? Why would we want to submit ourselves to someone else? It's because under his leadership, everything flourishes. A lot of times we think when I follow Jesus, it means I'm losing something. I have to give up my rights. I have to give up my status. I got to be low. But, but the scriptures always say, he says, Jesus loves to take those who are humble and exalt them. Right? And he opposes those who are proud. Jesus 
causes everything in our life to flourish. Our marriages, when we submit to the leadership of Jesus, are stronger. Our ability to do good work strengthens under his leadership when we follow him. Our ability to be good friends and family members is strengthened. Our ability to to deal with, with the things that stress us out is stronger. We are more resilient under the leadership of Jesus. And other masters that we submit to, like the master of comparison, are so merciless, right? They, they just, they, there's always someone who has more than us. There's always someone who's better, who had the same circumstances and was able to go farther than us. No matter how well we do, there's always going to be someone, right? Or if it's a promotion, no matter how far we go, there's always someone who went farther, and we're constantly having to prove ourselves. And that's, that's an anxious, filled way to live. And so everyone is invited to follow Jesus. And I want to move us to our second point. Followers of Jesus are called to share Jesus. That's the second thing we learned. Followers of Jesus are called to share Jesus. What do I mean by that? Read with me in verse 45. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets also wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so I love this play on words here because you see it says Jesus found Philip. And and the response of Philip is Philip finds Nathanael. And that is, that, is a, that is a good thing. That's a normal thing. When, when someone has encountered Jesus and you meet him, the response that we should have is to share him with other people. And you say, what, what do I talk about? What do I share? I'm not a master in that. And I love Philip's response because it doesn't say that he went off and like studied or took a class uh, or, or, or had to spend some time overseas. It just, it says he went. And we don't have all the details there because clearly Philip talked with Jesus and interacted with him. But then he goes and tells Nathaniel what he knows. He goes, the guy we've been waiting for, the guy the Old Testament has been talking about, the guy that Moses wrote about in the law, the one who the prophets were prophesying about, I've met him. And does, does Philip know everything there is to know about Jesus at this point? No. We'll see that later in, in the book of John. But he doesn't know everything. What does he share? He shares the way in which his interaction with Jesus changed him. And he says, my perspective's different now because I've met the one who the Old Testament has been pointing to, the one I've been looking for this whole time. The, the, the Old Testament talked about this man who would come, the, 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 that God would come down and he would bring peace. He would bring salvation. And Philip says, that's the guy. I've met him. And I love Nathaniel's response because he, he, he basically says, well, can anything actually good come out of Nazareth? He doesn't, he's not on board right away. Nathaniel's like, Philip, you're crazy because I've never heard of anything coming out of that town. And so it doesn't matter that he was opposed. It doesn't matter that he was recently on board with following Jesus. He shared Jesus. This is why I love working with high school students so much uh, because we're taking a team uh, to York, England this summer uh, with a ministry called UK USA. And um, in that, our students are put into British classrooms. And, and, and if you're familiar with English culture at all, it's very post-Christian. Uh, 95% of the students in these schools are non-evangelical, meaning, meaning they are not, uh, they're, 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 there's either no religion or there's it's other, another religion other than Christianity. They're just not engaged with Jesus. 
Uh, and so the, when we go into a classroom of 25, 30 kids, there might be one who says, yeah, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. Uh, but the rest would either say they're atheists or agnostic or some other religion. Majority of them say it's not worth my time to think about God. And our students, who most of them are young, maybe they, they became a believer when they were in elementary school, so they got a couple years on them there, uh, but they're still young in their faith. They say, I want to go and I want to talk to people about Jesus. Yeah, that's going to be hard and that's going to be scary, but, but that's what I'm called to do. That's an exciting thing. That's the proper response to an encounter with Jesus. Now, what do I share, right? What do I share with people? Because uh, a lot of times we think we need to have everything all together. And one of the, one of the things that, that I tell parents all the time is this idea of overflow evangelism, uh, which is a f- term I made up. Uh, but it's this idea that, that sometimes what we need to preach and, and, and proclaim to people is not sit them down and give them a gospel tract and the ABCs and lay it out. But sometimes it starts in our homes with our families and with our kids. And, and we just need to let people see the overflow of our relationship with Jesus. And by that, they see, they see the value of following him. And we can make a huge testimony and impact on people from that. Um, uh, I, uh, obviously, I talked about my son Adler. He's turning eight weeks this week, so I understand the crying. Um, and uh, we, got, we received from the coils a rhyme Bible. Uh, and the whole Bible is written out in rhymes. Uh, and it's amazing. So we've already taken him through the entire Old Testament. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're learning these stories and they have a cadence to them. And, and they, it is, why are we doing that though? Is it because he can comprehend it or he wants to be there? And he's like, yes, let's do the story again, right? No, right? Most of the time he's vomiting on my wife and that's his contribution in that moment. And, and, uh, but why are we doing that? Because we value and we want him to see we are committed as a family to the scriptures. Even, even if it's rhyming form, right? We just want you to know that we are committed to knowing the word together as a family. And, and so that way he has that value, growing up, right? Some of the times when I do my uh, studying the scripture in the morning, like I'm I'm holding him and and it's tempting. Sometimes it's like, let me put him in another room, try to get him down. And then I can go do that. And I've done that many times, but there's other times where I'm saying, man, I want him to just to hear how I'm studying the word. And so I'm holding him awkwardly while trying to read my Bible. Uh, But it's, it's, it's harder that way, but I just want him to know that his dad values studying the scripture. And I want him to experience that. And so what do we share? We just share the ways in which Jesus is shaping us. We let people in. We show, we don't have to hide the fact that we're studying scripture or praying and go off by ourselves. We can just let people see that. Um, And why do we share? Why does God call us to share? Um, I love what 2 Corinthians 5.20 says. It says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his plea through us. And Paul is saying, God has set it up where we are his ambassadors in the world. We represent him. It delights him to do that. Jesus wants to make uh, the, the plea to the world through us. Uh, I love the story of, in Mark chapter 2, the healing of the paralytic man. He's paralyzed his whole life. And, and Jesus is teaching. He's come to town. And, and it's so crowded in the house that Jesus is teaching in that it's overflowing out into the street. 
right? The front porch is like falling apart. Like they're just, the, the, the guy can't get in. And so the friends, uh, they come up with this idea and they say, we're going to go up onto the roof with this paralytic, which is crazy. Uh, and then we're going to drill a hole and lower him through, which as a father now, I'm like, that's reckless. Like, be careful, right? And it's just like this crazy scene. And they lower him down into the, the, the place where Jesus is teaching, Right. And Jesus doesn't look at him and scold him or say like, what, what is the, like, are you, why are you breaking into the house? Jesus looks at him. He says, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. And this man gets up off his mat and he walks out. And then in verse 12, I love what it says. It says, everyone there, they were amazed and they glorified God. They were amazed and they glorified God because of what they saw and experienced. When people just get to see the transformation and the power of Jesus working in your life, that brings God glory. And Jesus says, I want you to be a part of that. One of the best examples I've ever heard of this was from a seminary professor. Uh, and he talked about in the, you know, when, when, how newspapers were delivered in the 50s and 60s. And, uh, and, and uh, before every, all media was on uh, digital platforms and all that. And, and he said, it's the biggest stories of uh, happening in the world. It's the biggest headlines. All the world-shaping stuff is delivered to every door by kids on bicycles. And he, he says, that's what God has chosen to do with his gospel. The most important message in the world, he says, I'm trusting it to my children to bring to every household. He goes, that's what I want to do. People, followers of Jesus share Jesus. And my last point is this. Followers of Jesus are shaped by Jesus. And we're going to jump outside of John chapter 1. And we're going to look at two other uh, instances in Philip's encounter with Jesus. The, ne- the next one is in John chapter 6. Jesus had a long day of ministry at this point. Right? He's got his crew together. He's gaining a following. Uh, and the crowd gets up to a size n- north of 5,000. It's huge, right? And at this point, like there's, there's times when Jesus is like, okay, I'm done. Like, we got to move away from the crowd. Let's go. Like, let's get the boys together. And we're going to go to like a mountain, like somewhere that's hard to go to. And the crowds just follow him out there anyway. They're like, we don't care. And they're so reckless, even in the way that they follow him, that they don't bring anything to eat. And many of you have heard this story before, the feeding of the 5,000. But, but Jesus encounters this crowd that's just following him and following him. And it says, uh, says this, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. And so the first thing I want us to remember in this idea that we are shaped by Jesus, what do I mean by that? Is that Jesus is very intentional in the way that he shapes us. Jesus is intentional in the way that he shapes us. He's not haphazard. He doesn't just throw us into situations and say, man, like I didn't see that coming. And he's in total control. And and I love what the scripture says. It says he said this because he knew what he was about to do. He was intentionally putting Philip in this awkward, stretching situation where he asks him, Philip, where are we going to buy bread for 5,000 people? And Philip is like, why are you asking me? Like, you're, the, you're like one of the, part of the Trinity here. Like, what are you, what are you, why are you coming to me for? Uh, right? And it puts him in this moment where, where Philip's faith is stretched. And I think in the same way today, the things that we go through, Jesus is intentional with that. And he says, I want to lead you there 
so that you might grow in your faith and trust. And I talked about our, our UK team. One of, the, one of the questions that we do in our trainings as we're training that team is talking about this idea of suffering and pain in the world, right? If God is all big and powerful, why is there so much suffering? Uh, and one of the things we say is uh, don't begin by saying, yeah, Jesus wants to use those hard things to make you better, right? Because primarily Jesus's plan A was for the world to be perfect, And he says, I don't want any of that suffering. I don't want any of that pain in this world. In fact, I'm willing to give up myself in order to set right all the pain and the suffering in the world. He says, the reason that there is pain is because we've deviated from what Jesus wanted for us. And Jesus is moving everything to make that right. And he says, in the meantime, when pain and suffering come, when, when trials come, when hard things happen, when, when, you, when you lose your job, when your relationships are strained, Jesus is not shocked by that, but he looks at that and he says, okay, I know. I, I know there's this hard situation. And he says, but I want to use what is broken to build something that's good. And that's a foretaste of what Jesus is going to do ultimately when he returns, when he sets all things right. And he puts death to death. And there's no more pain and no more suffering. And so Jesus is intentional in how he shapes us. And the second part of this point is Jesus himself is the means by which we are shaped. He himself is the means by which we are shaped. Uh, Go to John chapter 14. This is the last snapshot of Philip that we see. John 14 chapter or John 14, verse 8. And again, to add some context here, Jesus is in the upper room, right? He's with his disciples. This is on the eve of his uh, crucifixion. He's, he's, he knows he's going to die. And so he's telling his disciples this. He say, he's told them many times, I'm, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be killed. And they're like, what? We don't understand. And then Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't go. And Thomas, one of the other disciples, pipes up and he's like, well, if you give us the address, we can follow you there. We'll meet you there. And he's like, where I'm going, you can't go. And it's this stressful situation where the disciples are like, but you're a, you're a leader, right? Like you're, I thought you're the Messiah. Like where are you going? And he's telling, and he's, and he's mentioning all these things like one of you will betray me. And so they're confused. And it's this tense, awkward moment. And so Philip speaks up and he's like, hey, I have an idea. I have a way to make this better. And so Philip uh, in verse eight says this, Lord, show us the father and we will be content. Jesus replied, have I been with you for so long and you have not known me, Philip? The person who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? And so Philip comes up with this idea and he's like, show us the father. That glorious experience Right? In theology, we call that a theophany, uh, which is a word that no one uses. But it's this appearance of God in a special way. And he says, show us the Father, and that, that will make us content. That will be enough. That'll be something that helps us grow and helps us persevere through this hardship. And Jesus rebukes him. And he explains, he goes, if you want to know who the Father is, if you want to know who, your, your, who God is, look at me. The book of Hebrews says Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. 
right? He is, he even says, he goes, the father is in me and I am in the father. And, and this is a difficult concept in Christianity, this idea of the Trinity, that God uh, is three persons, distinct, co-equal, co-eternal, yet unified. And there's no analogy that's perfect in explaining it. And Jesus is saying, if you want to know who the father is, if you want to know who God is, look at me. And everything you want to know about him is found in me. Set your eyes on me. In John chapter 16, Jesus will uh, be telling his disciples, hey, I'm going now. And he goes, but it's good that I go. And the disciples are like, what? Like, that's why? And he says, because the helper will come. And when the helper comes, it's, he shows it's good because the helper will dwell inside you. He says, that's the Holy Spirit. And he will testify to you everything that I've taught you. He will bring to mind the commands that I've given you. And he will be with you. And he will help you. And so today, Jesus is not with us anymore, but he's given us his spirit. So that we are not alone. And so that we have help in setting our mind and affection on Jesus fully. And so when I say that Jesus is the means by which we are shaped, he has given us his Holy Spirit so that we might know him. And as we come to know him more and more, we are shaped because we can become like him in character, in action, in word, in deed. And the primary way that we come to hear from the Holy Spirit today is through the scripture. The Bible is not just a book. It's not just a good, like, let me start my day and like have like a high five on the way out the door, right? The, the, the Bible is, is this collection of testimony and stories and poetry and prophecy about Jesus. And it shows us what he's like, that we might know God more fully. And so what is our response to that? If we want to know Jesus, if we want to follow, if we want to be shaped by him, we have to be in the scripture. There was a study that came out. Uh, it's called The Power of Four. It was released by the Center for Bible Engagement. And they surveyed 400,000 people ages as young as eight years old to 80 years old across 75 denominations. Uh, just a huge study that was done. And, and they were looking at the relationship between people's interaction with the word of God and the way that they live their life. And so uh, they came out with this study called The Power of Four. And so what they found is that when someone spends one day a week in significant time in scripture, there's statistically no difference between the way that they live their life, between someone who spends one day and someone who doesn't spend any time. And then they said, someone who spends two days a week in the scripture, no statistical difference. Someone who spends three days a week, no statistical difference. And then it says, when you hit four when the majority of your days are spent in the scriptures, they said something began to happen. There was statistically, people's lives were different. And, and they released some of this, the, the studies, and they said, when you read the Bible four or more times a week, you are 228% more likely to share your faith with someone else. You are 407% more likely to have scripture memorized. And you are 59% less likely to view pornography and 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. And we didn't need a study to tell us that the word of God is powerful, right? There are generations and testimonies of the power of the word of God. And it, it itself says it is a sword. It cuts through people and it shows them who Jesus is. 
But if we want to be a people shaped by Jesus, we want to follow him well, we have to be rooted in the scriptures day after day after day. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the way that we shape that is through spending time in the word. And you're like, that's so easy. And it can be, but it can also be so hard. We have to fight for it. And so the way I want to close today um, is this. I want to create a space here for you just to reflect and say, man, as a follower of Jesus, maybe I'm not a follower. Maybe I would call myself a follower. Maybe I'm not sure. But my, my hope and my prayer is that in this moment, you would reflect on that and you would say, man, you've, God, you are offering this, this invitation to everyone to follow me. Maybe for the first time, I need to submit and place my faith in you and say, I can't do this on my own. And I need to place my faith in the work of Jesus and and give up trying to earn this respect from God on my own. Or maybe you've been walking with Jesus. You are a believer. You're saying, I need to, I need to submit. There's some things I need to repent of. I need to submit to the kingship of Jesus. And there's some areas of my life where I've been holding back from that. And maybe that's what you need to do today. Or maybe it's, man, I need to share my faith with someone this week. Or, or just taking that next step of saying, I'm committed to spending time in the scriptures. And so what I want to do as the, the band's playing this last song, we just want to create that moment for you to reflect and to pray. And to ask God, say, God, show me what it means to be a follower of you. Because as we see in, in Philip's life, you see him growing. He is shaped. Jesus takes the, he puts him in these moments and he tells Philip, man, if you want to know me, come to know, I'm inviting you. So let's pray today. Father, we just thank you for this moment to open up your word. And God, and we just ask that you would Uh, Speak to us clearly, God, and you would just help us to know you. God, we just pray that this morning we would deal honestly with you. God, and you would just show us areas where we need to follow you. And God, so often we, we think of that as such a bad thing. This idea of repentance is so hard, but really repentance is the gateway to freedom and to life. So if we're convicted, that's not a bad thing. That's you calling us to life. And so God, may we, may we rejoice at the conviction we feel today. God, give us the strength to do that. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.